Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. Welcome back, everyone. This is The Changelog, a podcast featuring the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators of the software world. I'm Jared Zanto, managing editor of Changelog.com. In this episode, we are shining our maintainer spotlight on Caleb Porzio. This episode continues the maintainer spotlight series where we dig deep into the life of an open source software maintainer. We're producing this series in partnership with Tidelift. Huge thanks to them for making it possible. If you haven't heard of Tidelift, they are the first managed open source subscription that pays the maintainers of the exact projects that you're using while giving you the commercial support you've been looking for. Okay, here's Caleb. Caleb, thanks for coming on Maintainer Spotlight. Thanks for being an open source maintainer. Why don't you tell me about yourself and uh, what you've been maintaining? Yeah, so first, thanks for having me. Um, about myself, I, I mean, I do a lot of development. I mean, there's a lot of outside things we could talk about, but um, but the development-related things, I, I quit my job about a year ago. I work full-time at a web agency. Um, it's a Laravel and Vue and React shop, and... I don't know. I, I wanted to, I, I, at first it was actually just to take a sabbatical. I just wanted a break from programming. Mm-hmm. And about a day into that sabbatical, I got hooked on this project that's now Livewire. Um, we could talk a little bit about that later, but that's, so that's my main project and it's been my main project for over a year now. Um, and then Alpine, uh, a little JavaScript framework package thing kind of popped up along the way. And, and now that's another project. They kind of work together, but th- those are my two, those are my two big projects. And then a bunch of little side things. Yeah. Yeah. I found one of your side projects fun and interesting. Get Down. Oh yeah. Yep. So Get Down is a PHP markdown processor, but it's actually not. It's actually just a, a facade yeah. for the GitHub markdown API. Yeah. That was awesome. That's a nice little hack. So basically just you treat it like it's a markdown parser, but it's actually going out and hitting their API. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. because it, Like markdown parsing is historically annoying. Yeah. Um, any of the processors, they mostly work, but then there's little things about them that just break down, you know? Um, and I, I, I think my standard for markdown is basically GitHub, you know, mm-hmm. like I mostly use it inside of GitHub. So I'm really familiar with, with the way it processes markdown. And they also offer all of their styling in like open GitHub primer. It's their like CSS framework. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I found this API. I kind of stumbled on it. I was like, wait a minute, you can hit a public API, send it markdown and it'll spit back to you. HTML is if GitHub already formatted. It's like GitHub flavored markdown. Yeah. And it is all their features and everything. Yep. You can opt in or out of GitHub flavor if you want. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I I used it and it was so easy. It's definitely the easiest way to get some quick GitHub or some quick uh, Markdown parsing. Um, yeah, and I used it. and I thought I'd package it up and and made it. Yeah, but that that was one of those. There's lots of those little fun side things that I have no real plans or big visions for. They're just fun and you know helpful. Absolutely, and I, I loved your warning in the readme. You say warning: this package is a fraud. <laughs> yeah All yeah there's, there's fire a couple of markdown to github it's like well yep. uh you yeah it's good that it says that up front you know they always start out being a fraud 
Like it's something simple that I do or I'm like, oh, this is, you know, I'll put this in a package because I would want it in a succinct little package. I wouldn't want to copy this GitHub gist or something. But right. it's so simple. Like, you know, people would be like, wait a minute, that's all the packages. Um, but then it always grows, you know, like as people find new optimizations and features and whatnot, it, it, they, they end up earning their own stripes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love that you took a sabbatical or you quit your job and you want to get away from programming and then you took like basically one day off and then LiveWire <laughs> yeah. begins. Are you just uh, addicted to the game or, or what's the deal? Yeah, I think there's, I think a big part of it is, is addiction to the game. Um, yeah, I, I thought that I would, I, so we, we, we go down to Florida every spring. Well, it started last year. So, uh, for the sabbatical, I thought this is a perfect break. I'm going to Florida for two months. Uh, I'm from Buffalo, so it's very snowy and, uh, hoth like in Buffalo mm-hmm. around this time of year. Mm-hmm. And we went down to Florida and yeah, I, so I brought this stack of books. I brought a box of books cause I thought this is going to be it. I'm going to, this is going to be like real me time. I'm going to read books. I'm going to go, I'm going to fish. I'm going to yeah. hike all these things. And I, I read it, three or four pages of one book the entire trip. And that I think I think I just have these these hopes that that I you know I don't know but yeah I love programming and it's you know there's always there's always a new challenge or a fun yeah. thing to dig into. So and that's me yeah. when I travel. I always bring a book with me when I travel. And then basically it's just like, which book do you want to carry around the entire trip? I'm never going to actually read it. I'm going to like, I finally get to my hotel and I'm so exhausted that I'm like, I just flip on the TV and fall asleep. Same thing. I gave up on the the traveling with book thing. Yeah. It's like podcasts, all sorts of stuff for traveling. I'm always like way, way overprepared for content. Right. So let's talk about Livewire. So I'm not very familiar with the Laravel community. Um, We've done a couple shows over the years on Laravel, but... Uh, for those who don't know what Livewire is, this is your your biggest uh, open source project. Tell us what it is, what it does, and why you began it on sabbatical. Yeah, so Laravel, uh, a great analog for Laravel is Rails. Um, so if you need a mental framework, uh, Rails or or even, I mean, Rails is definitely the closest, but mm-hmm. Django or even Express, like any backend framework. Web you framework know, Laravel's yeah. a backend web framework, yeah. Um. So Livewire, yeah, it's it's a very it's a it's a very unique thing, and nothing exists exactly like it. Um, it got its, inf- its its inspiration from this project called Phoenix LiveView. Mm-hmm. So Phoenix is another backend framework for Elixir. So um, it's kind of the rails for Elixir. And I saw that this is what spurred it. I saw the little blog post they they released this demo of Phoenix LiveView at Phoenix Elixir Conf or whatever. And the concept was they used web sockets well maybe i'll just describe what i saw that kind of turned me on okay was it was like a back-end template that had like echo statements in a back-end template like you see in back-end templates but then there was also this syntax for listening for a click on an element and firing a method but it, it was a reference to a back-end method so it was super weird it, it looked like like almost like Vue.js or something or react or something like in the dom Right. But instead of calling a JS function, somehow it called like a controller method and manipulated some state that that presumably exists on the back end and then re-renders the template in the back end and then swaps it out in the front end. So it's this weird blurring of lines between back end and front end. And they used WebSockets to keep a persistent connection uh, on the back end. Um, So I was just floored by this idea. There's a, a lot of sort of my... Um, the things that I've been preaching or, or I guess my, um, I don't know, the things I've been campaigning for in my career as a web developer, I guess the arc of my career as a web developer was like novice, 
jQuery, CodeIgniter, basic stuff, vanilla PHP. Then I got into Laravel and started ramping up a little bit. Um, then I got into Vue.js. And so I went like hard into the JavaScript community and was basically building SPAs with a Laravel backend. Um, and then I, I so that that's kind of the peak of the arc. And then the, the, the slope down is me realizing um, that I, in many ways I wasn't better off all the complexity I had taken on. And so I started listening to a bunch of DHH stuff, Basecamp stuff. Um, a lot of the people who you know are preaching about basically keeping it simple and, and stepping back from that. Um, so, so that's like the second half of my career arc is stepping down from a lot of that craziness, that perceived craziness. I, I know not, it's not crazy for everybody, um, but sort of step, stepping away from the SPA architecture. And, and so this was perfect timing. I was already kind of embracing the back end. I was using, I was going back to the back end more, um, stepping away from the SPA. And then this came along and I went, oh my gosh, like this is everything I ever wanted. Both, I, it seemed like a, like a have your cake and eat it too type thing. Mm-hmm. So you saw Phoenix Live View, which uh, is still very new and is still either beta E or out. I can't remember if it's like out, out but still under heavy development and you For thought sure. okay well laravel needs this or something like this yeah exactly like i want to i want to do this in laravel so i'll build it i'll see what happens in it it really was just a proof of concept it took me probably a day of like fun hacking setting up the web socket connection and you know really it was pretty basic actually um and i tweeted it out this little proof of concept and something like this thing blew my mind blah 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 and people really dug it and it it became kind of a many many twitter sensation in our tiny little corner um of of the internet and yeah so basically then i was like all right well i should turn this into you know a pack people are like are you gonna package this up and i'm like yeah yeah probably but you know it, it might take me a week or two which is so funny yeah <laughs> like or i remember or whatever it takes. <laughs> I, yeah i actually didn't launch anything publicly for another five five or six months um, that's, a, that's a really interesting story in itself that I, that I'd love to go into, but, um, but yeah, I wanted to build it and, and I did it and, and it ended up actually taking a very different form. So it behaves different as some di- like fundamental differences to Phoenix live view that kind of emerged over time as we started using it and, you know, making decisions. So it's kind of like when a movie is inspired by a true story, you know, whenever they say inspired by a true story, you know, this move is a movie of fiction, you know, it's not, (laughs) it's not, uh, based on Even I think based, there's certain rules around what they can even say inspired by, and then based on a true story. Right. And then there's like an actual true story. And so this is kind of like inspired by Phoenix live view, but by the time you were finished or, you know, getting to production, it was different in the way that it goes about achieving similar goals. Is that what you're saying? Right. Yeah. It used to be, I used to say a lot, like I used to reference Phoenix live view a lot talking uh-huh. about it. Cause like, Oh, this is Phoenix live view for, for Laravel. Um, but yeah, I don't do that anymore. It's so far from, from being anything but inspired. Yeah. So the tagline is a magical front end framework for Laravel. Uh, if you can describe what it does today <laughs> without referencing Phoenix live view, how would you do that? Yeah. So all the taglines are garbage. I haven't updated them in a while. Um, <laughs> I, I need to really put my head to that. W- when it first started, it was all magical and new to me. So all the taglines are like weird, They're like a weird framework that's magical and will, will confuse you and whatever. Um, but yeah, so how, how would I describe it? So so I guess there's two ways of, of kind of approaching it. There's There's the magical bewilderment way, 
where you look at a backend template that can somehow interact with the front end and the template and the back end at the same time. So somehow this this like 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 I described earlier, like it's as if it's Vue.js, but you can call a method on the back end and everything will re-render and magic will happen. Um, that's one way of looking at it. For me, uh, it's really more of like an a framework. It's like a an 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 AJAX framework. It's a framework for making calls to the back end, getting HTML, and changing what's on the page, but providing lots of helpers for that. So I, I guess it's uh it's still something I have a hard time explaining quickly. Um, but if you're interested, we could walk through like k- kind of how you could arrive at at LiveWire naturally. Well, let's hear it. Okay. So have you encountered the the like server fetched partials pattern or, or this pattern of instead of sending Ajax requests to get uh, JSON, you send an Ajax request to get HTML and then swap a, only a part of your page. Yes. So this is the concept, the fundamental concept behind TurboLinks, um, PJAX and Intercooler, a bunch of these frameworks that that do this thing. And if you go on GitHub and you open up the dev tools and just look at the Ajax requests, like everything you do on GitHub does this. It sends an Ajax request and instead of getting JSON back, it gets a little snippet of HTML back and then swaps it into the page in real time. Right. Yeah. Um, so I started using that pattern in my day-to-day development to kind of cure some of this JavaScript complexity to keep, you know, the templates on the back end. Um, mm-hmm. So I started doing that a lot. And basically, that is the fundamental concept behind LiveWire, except instead of you having to go, all right, here's a button, I'll use jQuery to register a click listener so that when this button is clicked, I'll send an Ajax request to get a new template of, let's say that it's a refresh button on a list of invoices or something to get the new list of invoices in HTML and then use like dot inner HTML to swap it into the page. LiveWire just does all the wiring for you and gives you a declarative API where you can say like wire colon click, uh, wire colon click equals refresh or something. And then, and then you'd have a method in the back end called refresh that would, you know, manipulate some state and re-render the, the template. Well, you're speaking my language because we at changel.com use Phoenix on our back end and we actually use TurboLinks with oh, Phoenix. Nice. Nice. So I'm very, I'm not just familiar with the style of, of writing web apps, but I'm also pro. Like I think it's a great way to do it for many, many use cases. Um, so you've been working on Livewire. It sounds very cool. You have lots of people interested in it. You have uh, people using it. You also have Alpine.js, which you mentioned. I'm curious though, because you quit your job a year ago. And so I'm wondering like, where's the money coming from at this point? Are you yeah, off yeah, savings? A, are you that's a great question. building client you know, customer things with Livewire? What's the deal? Yeah. So I will say that, that I, I don't, I maybe barely consider myself in a sustainable place. Um, so this started out as a sabbatical. I, I've been really into like financial independence and that, that whole community for a while. So I've, I've already kind of taken on um, the habits of somebody somebody reaching for early retirement. So I, I cranked up my savings rate when I was, you know, working full time. Um, and I was just kind of piling money away in investments. And my standard of living is pretty low. Like we, my wife and I both, uh, we don't have any school debt. Um, we share one car. There's a lot of things that, that we, we rent a small apartment. There's a lot of things about our life that just, we don't need a ton of money. Um, so there's, there's that. There's also the pile of money, you know, sitting there. And so I went to take this sabbatical and thought, you know, I mean, I can live for two months on, on no income easily. Um, 
And so I did that and then it just kept going. And at some point, um, so I decided I'll, I'll never pull from savings. Like I'll never go into my investments, anything I put in for like 401k or anything like that. I'll never do that. If that, if I get to that point, I'll get a job or something. Um, but so a, my wife has a, she's a photographer and okay. so she brings in some money. Um, where before it was always just kind of on the top because I had the developer job and now it's, right. you're you know, saving it's a, that, but now you're kind of living off that. More. Yeah. Now we're, yeah, we're living off that partially. Um, and then I started freelancing, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to jump into big projects that detracted from the work I was doing. So I started advertising kind of like, uh, how, how would you describe it? Like, um, almost like freelancing as a service or like a la carte freelancing, like okay. things what do you mean so, yeah so I, I would basically reached out and was like all right i want to do mentorships like an hour or two hours a week where you just get on a call with me and i help you with what you're doing you ask me questions and stuff like that so that was the first phase of freelancing um and i charged some i think i charged uh, 150 an hour uh so it was like a decent decent rate um and i just wanted like extra money but i didn't want to really get into a real project i didn't want mm-hmm. something that's really going to take my brain away um, so I started doing that and I still have, I still have some of the same mentoring clients. Um, so I do a lot of little pocket. Are these professionals, are these people that are trying to get into programming? Like who can at, at an individual level spend 150 an hour for, for training? Yeah. So generally they're professionals and they're Laravel developers. Um, so I guess I've been fortunate enough that over time I've built a bit of an audience in the Laravel community. Um, so it's kind of been my thing for, I don't know, a while now. And so I, I've spoken at Laracon like, uh, like three, three Laracons. I'm speaking at two this year, you know, so, uh, I, so I have a little bit of a name in the community and I, I've already done a lot of educating publicly and I worked for Titan, which is one of the like top, you know, Laravel, uh, shops. So I had kind of this, like that really was the power behind this was that I already had this audience. Um, and so the people, it wasn't just beginners coming to me going, how do I program? It was like people who listen to my podcast and know how I think and are already like in deep on projects, whether it's for a company or they're, you know, solopreneurs or whatever. Are they using Livewire or are they just using Laravel? So now, now they're mostly using Livewire. It's funny <laughs> well, how that happens. That's even it, mentoring them. They're like, here, try right, this. This is awesome. When I started it, you know, Livewire wasn't in a place for me to recommend anybody yeah. use in production. Um, so, I mean, I, I do mentoring for, for really anything. It doesn't have to be Livewire. And I, I really don't explicitly push Livewire in any of my clients. I do push Alpine. <laughs> okay. That, that's a interesting why I do that. But um, yeah, I, I'm mostly mentoring people who are already professional developers and have real production Laravel applications. Yeah. So what's Alpine real quick? If, if you're familiar with Vue.js, it's very very similar to Vue.js. so if you know how to use Vue, you basically know how to use alpine why not use Vue then yeah right um so so i I had described how i started going a little bit away from the front end heavy world and back to back to the back end and simple little vanilla like javascript sprinkles around my apps to do little things but not writing the entire template in Vue or react Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm pretty hard on that using turbo links, uh, and, and then vanilla JS for the rest, but you end up, I ended up in this place of like, okay, I don't want to buy in fully to a front end framework because that, I mean, that, that is it. Like when you're in a front end framework, you've bought in, like it owns your entire front end. So it's, you can't mix, it's very hard to mix things. Um, 
your entire DOM is rendered from a virtual DOM. So you don't have control over it anymore. You've surrendered control to their paradigm, um, which is powerful. But for me, I was stepping back from that. So that, that, that was the one end was like, there's tons of power there. Declarative, you know, UIs where you can just set some state, you can manipulate state in your UI reacts. And then on the other end, I was in vanilla JS sprinkles land. And I, I don't know, I just felt like it, it wasn't sufficient. I was, it was like I was back in the jQuery days for me where I'm registering click handlers everywhere and manipulating DOM elements. And it felt really imperative. Um, it felt imperative. It felt, it felt brittle in a lot of ways. Um, and just annoying, not, not expressive. Like view is so declarative. You have a template and react too. Uh, you have a template and you can see in the template how things are attached to state. And then you can just worry about changing the state. Um, so I, I had felt kind of like in this middle place and when I had reached out to people and been like, you know, just on Twitter, like, this is what I want. How do I get it? You know? And most people said, well, stimulus is that. And you've, I'm sure you've encountered stimulus. Yeah. We had David on the show when he announced stimulus. Oh, no way. Nice. I haven't used it, but I've spoken with him about it in some detail. Okay. Yeah. So stimulus, uh, if you read the, like the docs or the, the splash page, it's pretty much exactly what I'm describing. It's like, yeah keep your keep your html or it's what is it some behavior for the html you already have or something like that um yeah they're really good at their taglines aren't they yeah they are their messaging their philosophy everything is just spot on so i'm already a big Basecamp fan dhh fan whatever all those things so this seemed right up my alley and his philosophy on like monolithic architecture and all the stuff i'm just totally on board with and i wanted this to be the silver bullet but for me it felt it didn't even, well, I guess I, I don't want to like, <laughs> like trash the framework because a lot of people love it, but it just didn't feel good. I love everything DHH does except stimulus. <laughs> except sti- honestly, that's probably, <laughs> that's pretty true. Um, yeah, for some reason it feels really imperative. Uh, it, it also feels like I don't even need it because I end up writing a bunch of DOM manipulation myself anyway. Um, so I don't know. It's a very, it's a light framework. It's very unopinionated. It's very, it's very light. Um, Are you speaking of Alpine now or stimulus? Sorry, stimulus. Um, Light in the sense, it's actually not light, like kilobytes wise, but but it's light in the sense that you end up having to kind of create your own patterns for things. Um, Yeah. So anyway, Alpine is, in my mind, the perfect balance between those two paradigms, between this, this, you know, vanilla JS sprinkles in your backend rendered app and this all SPA view or React or Angular front end that uh that is you know a huge huge ecosystem to buy into um so i wanted to keep all the good of that of that end which is like i had mentioned declarative templates um and reactive state and everything but without without the virtual dom without separate js files for every component without all that stuff um so alpine basically is an an in html framework so you mostly use it directly in your html with attributes and the attributes are prefixed with X hyphen. Um, so an, uh, an Alpine component, you declare an Alpine component with X hyphen data, and then you pass in a JSON object, and that's your data for the component. So everything in that little DOM tree right there is all, all related to that data. And you can, you can add on little X hyphen attributes and interact with that data anywhere inside that component. Uh, so if you're familiar with view, the analogy is the data property of a view component. Basically, I'd realized I want view, but I just want the data property and I don't need anything else. And I want to keep all the template stuff so I can listen for like V on click, things like that. 
Um, so, or V V show, so you can toggle something on and off or V bind an attribute like a style attribute or a class attribute. So Alpine, um, you have X data and then you declare some state. Let's say show show is false, like show colon false. That would be your state for the component. Then you could have a, let's say a dropdown, like just a div with some content in it. You could add X show and then, well, you would pass in the, the state. So show in this case, it's X hyphen show equals show. Um, I should have used is open or something. Um, and so then you could add a button and on that button, you could say X on click show equals true or show equals not show. Um, so yeah, so you can listen for events and manipulate the state. And then you can also sort of declare state or, or declare Dom, uh, representation based on that state, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense to me because I'm staring at the readme. I'm not sure if it makes sense just in audio, yeah, but it's, it's listeners, a hard if you're confused, to... <laughs> click through to the show notes, grab the readme, and it will all make sense. This does seem pretty cool. And uh, I was looking for the the package size, uh, minified and gzipped 4.64 kilobytes. Now, there's a sales pitch I right know. there for, that talks to me. Yeah, it's it started at when it, the first version was like less than three kilobytes. It's It's grown since then, but... Um, but yeah, it's so slim. I wanted something that was just, I felt like, like the things I wanted weren't that hard to accomplish. Like I felt like the things I want to do, I don't even, I don't need a virtual DOM. I don't need any, I don't need a template compiler. I don't need any of these things. I was like, what if I, what if I did basic, what if I implemented Vue, but using native DOM APIs? Like what if I just crawled through the DOM and I used like dot get attribute, you know, or query selector, stuff like that to get data out of the attributes and then if i want to set data i can use like dot value equals or dot class list dot add stuff like that so alpine internally there's no i don't know if there's any dependencies there might be like one dependency to make like getting something out of an object easier but it's there's no real dependencies it's just me using i don't know my knowledge of dom apis to to do what i need to do so it ends up being a lot more lightweight than something like Vue that literally has to like trans like take your entire html template and parse it out into an abstract syntax tree build up this observable object thing and then maintain like virtual dom diffs and a dom app like all this stuff that i just don't have to do Hmm. well fact check true i'm on your package json you have some dev dependencies but there's there's an empty object there in your dependencies list so alpine no dependencies very cool This episode is brought to you by Tidelift, managed open source, backed by maintainers. Save time and reduce risk with a Tidelift subscription. Manage your application's dependencies covering millions of open source projects across JavaScript, Python, Java, PHP, Ruby, .NET, and more. Subscriptions include security updates, licensing verification and indemnification, maintenance and code improvement, package selection and version guidance, roadmap input, and more. The bottom line is this. You get all the capabilities you expect from commercial software, but for all of the key open source software that you're already using and depending on. Tidelift works with GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, and more. They support every cloud platform out there. And of course, you can try it absolutely free. Start your free trial today at Tidelift.com. Caleb, the, the thing that 
caught my eye of what you've been up to because I, like I said, I'm not deep in the Laravel community and I'm now excited about Alpine, but I did not find Alpine until just now. What I did oh, find really? was sushi. Yeah. That's funny. I, I think whoever reached out to me from the change log, I don't know. Maybe I just assume it's Alpine now. <laughs> That's funny. I thought that, that like this, this interview is basically because of Alpine. You are incorrect. Sir. That's so I reached <laughs> out to so you funny. and it had nothing to do with Alpine. It had everything That's to do hilarious. with sushi. So this is our maintainer spotlight series. And I am very keen on new models of uh, open source maintainer sustainability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I came across was sushi. And I'll just say it again. Our audience is like, what does this have to do with food? No, it's a pa- it's a it's a repo called sushi on your GitHub. And the thing that caught my eye was this package is sponsorware. Like I saw that and I was like, hmm, sponsorware. What, what, what? And uh, here you have, well, first of all, Sushi is what you call Eloquence missing a RAID driver. I assume Eloquent is like an ORM or something. Yeah, it's Laravel's ORM. Okay. So it's a library, a PHP library. But then it says this, this package is sponsorware. And then you said a writ. Oh, it's updated. You updated your readme <laughs> yeah, from the too. point. Okay, so here's what I grabbed. It said currently, this is, this is no longer true, but it did say currently this package is only available to people who sponsor me on GitHub. Once I have a total of 75 GitHub sponsors, I will make this package fully open source. And then it said 26 more sponsors to go in parentheses. Sounds like you've hit your goal because... Yeah, I hit it a while ago. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't update the readme. Okay. <laughs> Imagine that. It, uh, I hit it in like two days. Yeah. Awesome. So that's, th- this is interesting. So right now, Sushi, you go there and you see there's source code and there's a sushi.php. I'm assuming beforehand it was just a readme. Tell me about, first of all, this idea of sponsorware. Yeah. You talked about how you're trying to find ways of becoming sustainable without yeah. necessarily going to get a job again. And I'm wondering if this is a brand new thing you made up, if there's other people doing this. It just seems like a new model that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. Uh, this is, so it, it, it is invented, but not just by me. Um, my co-host on my podcast, No Plans to Merge, uh, Daniel. We were we were talking. We did a whole episode on just open source sustainability. Basically, um, it's from a like our, our podcast is really informal, and we really just like pick a pick a stance, and the other person usually picks the other stance, and we just kind of hash it out for the sake of hashing out an idea. Um, so my stance was: there are tons of agencies and companies who are benefiting directly from open source software and even advertising themselves as shops that, you know, write in that software and the people maintaining the software are broke <laughs> and like the agencies don't pay them any money and they're just, you know, rolling around in, in money. And these open source maintainers are rattling a tin can um, begging for money. And that, <laughs> and this is funny because I think um, I'm usually not one to, to like take up mantles like this, but because I'm in this position, I totally feel it. Like I totally yeah. get it now that like, oh my gosh, it's super really, really hard to make money in open source. It's mostly you begging people, hoping that your project gets big enough that an enterprise something picks it up and either hires you or gives you a sp- or maybe like eventually you'll have a conference that you can sell sponsorships to. Um, you can spot, you know, have logos on the docs, like, or really the other the other more vo- the most viable option is educational materials, selling an ebook or a course. Um, but I'm sort of in this position where I get it now. I'm like, 
who's got time to make a course like i'm buried yeah, up to my eyeballs job, and github right? issues and prs and everything yeah like who's got like yeah like shouldn't the work i'm doing right now justify the payment in itself um so that, that was sort of my position was like all right daniel let's argue this like i think that that there's this crazy thing where nobody's paying these open source maintainers and there's and i'm in that that place right now where i'm like kind of living unsustainably and uh but i don't want to be the one to go on twitter and be like hey everybody should pay me money um so we started talking about some different ideas and and this really emerged from that discussion there was a moment in that discussion where i was talking about sushi which we could talk that that's kind of a funny package as an example for this um but i was talking about sushi and and yeah, I think I'm going to open source it, but you know, and so I posed to him this problem. I'm like, I don't, I like open source. Like I love the open source movement. I love everything about it. And something about charging for software and not making it open source feels weird to me. Like I've benefited so much from people sharing projects. So I don't want to just say, Hey, this uh, package is only available to my sponsors. It's one of the rare packages that I just keep to myself. Like I could do that, but something just felt like off about it. And I'm restricting the growth of it. Like there's so many reasons that that's just not satisfactory. Every time I come to that decision in my head, I go, you know what? I'd rather not have the 200 bucks or whatever. And I'd rather just everybody use it. I don't know. Right. When it comes down to like dollars and cents, I'm never like, yeah, it's worth the thousand dollars. I'm always like, it's not worth it. Um, so, uh, so I kind of posed him this problem that I, I don't, I feel, I feel like I, I feel like any of the non open source options are, are no good for me. Um, and then the open source option as well. Like nobody wants to, if you say, hey, this is sponsorware, you have a moral obligation to be a sponsor if you use this. Nobody's going to do it. Like it just, that's just how it works. Like nobody, people just don't yeah. do that. Very few people do. Not enough to, not enough to drive sustainability across the open source ecosystem. Like there, there is some, but it's not going to move the needle, so to speak. Yeah. So, so he came up with this. He was like, so what if you, what if you uh, didn't, I think he, he compared it to another, I don't actually know the product, but let's just say MassDrop. Are you familiar with MassDrop? No. Okay. I'm like barely familiar. So I was hoping you were familiar so you could check me on this. <laughs> Sorry. Let's just pretend this is how it works. Or maybe Kickstarter or something. I don't know. This idea that that you you don't release something until you have a, a volume, like critical mass. Yeah, I was thinking about it like Kickstarter kind of. You're, you, you're basically pitching an idea, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, in your case, I guess it's a library. So maybe you already had the software written and you just I kept did. it. Yeah. Yep. But you, but ostensibly, you wouldn't even need to do that. You could go on your your history and your good name and say, here is my idea for an open source yeah. library. Actually, I think Yehuda Katz did that a few years ago with a Kickstarter on some sort of a Ruby packaging thing. And he had a successful Kickstarter campaign. And this kind of, it kind of reminds me of that. Kickstarter is a good analogy. So, uh, yeah, so ba- basically he had proposed that, um, like... What if you, you know, kept it just to sponsors until you reached a certain threshold and then at that threshold of sponsors or monthly income or whatever, um, you release it to open source. And it was one of those ideas that felt like it came out of the clouds. Like he said that I was like, dude, that's it. That's exactly it. Um, It's perfect because it, it really answers all the questions for me. It checks all the boxes. It's still open source. So at the end of the day, it'll be an open source project. Um, Mm -hmm. if it's open source, it will be sustainable because it will have already earned its keep. Um, and yeah, and I get to make money. So I get to make money and I get to have open source stuff. Um, so I thought it was a great idea. Yeah. It's interesting because the actual sponsorship goes to you, the person, it doesn't go necessarily to sushi, the project. Right. 
but they are backing you in order to open up, uh, yeah. know, allow you to open source Sushi. This is GitHub sponsors you're using. Yeah. So how many sponsors did you have when you first put up Sushi as sure. sponsorware? Yeah, I'll run you through the, the hard numbers and then we can talk causation yeah. and intent and things like that. Um, also, I wanted to note that there is tons of nuance in this whole open source payment discussion. That's why we did that podcast because there's like, well, what about maintaining the project and not the the first person who you know started it? Whatever, we can get there. Right. Here's the the brass tax numbers for for this little experiment. Um, so my sponsorship tiers are nine dollars, and they're nine dollars. They're they well right now they're nine dollars ninety nine and two hundred and fifty a month, and nine dollars is you get nothing. Um, you get nothing and like it. You get nothing. You're just contributing to me. <laughs> That's funny. Even like listen to my language. You get nothing. You get nothing in terms of those perks that you're supposed to. No do, additional like, things. Exactly. But you get the software I write every day. You know. <laughs> so <laughs> 99 is like the freelancer or whatever, and you get a logo on on the front page, and then 250 is you get a logo on every page of the LiveWire docs in two hours of consulting, which is actually a wicked deal and probably a mistake. We don't have to get into that. So when I did this, I had 21 total sponsors, I think. I had like one, I think I had one 250 a month, one 99, and the rest were $9. Um, so I did this, and originally on the podcast, uh, Daniel said, yeah, make it like 40 sponsors as your goal. And I was like, 40, that seems a little bit steep, but I don't know, maybe. Um, so after the podcast, when I actually sat down to implement all this stuff, I realized like, I got to just go for this. Like, I got to go for it. You know, 40 is not going to move the needle that much for me. Um, 75. Oh, so then I thought I'll do 50. And then right, I actually wrote 50 in the readme. And right before I sent out an email, um, I threw 75 and I was like, you know what? Change it to 75. And so I did that and we hit it in, I think I hit 75 in probably 24 hours. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So I have a, a pretty decent uh email list i think that was really uh the the main reason why this worked so well and the idea was uh, it was a pretty good idea and it already had like 1200 likes on twitter this little tweet of the idea so there was already an audience kind of ready for this um but yeah moved it from like 21 or something to 75 and my monthly uh when when i go in and like github sponsors dashboard the monthly number was 577 a month i think was how much i had in github sponsors by the I'll just say now, um, I think by the end of it, I had, oh, I don't even know, but now I have 1900 a month. Um, so basically That's in, significant. it is in a few days, I basically made like 15 grand for the year, um, on a small project that took me, oh man, I mean, it took me two hours to write the first version. And I mean, total hourly is just so small for this project. It's a very tiny, it's a one file project. It literally is I one file. Sushi.php. There it is. It's one file. It's just a novel idea. And it went from something that would have made me zero dollars to something that contributed almost 20 grand to my income. Uh, no, that's not true. Maybe like between 10 and 15. Um, yeah. So it was basically like a, I'll just say conservatively, a $10,000 endeavor um, that just kind of popped into our heads and then landed in my lap. Yeah. I would say that's a success story. Yeah. It felt like it. I mean, it does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty quick turnaround. I think you can probably. So talk me through the marketing logistics of this. So you already put out the sushi idea. Yeah. And people liked it. So you already knew there was some interest around that. Yeah. And then you turned around and you sent an email to your mailing list that said basically 
okay, I'm writing sushi. If you want me to open source it, I got to get to 75 GitHub sponsors. I'm wondering how much of this may have been because the novelty of the idea, because there's some of that, like, especially with a lot of your backers might be indies and devs and like, oh, cool. Um, Obviously, you can't necessarily quantify all this, but I'm just curious, how how did you actually pitch this to your audience? Yeah. And I'm wondering how, like, how much we could rinse and repeat this and have success for other people. Right. Yeah. So (laughs) there's a lot of factors here. Um, So to give more details, the email list was 3000 people, um, which is a decent list, at least for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's my generic email. Like I've, I've resisted segmenting my email list. So it's basically one list, giant list of people that I send an email to every so often um, that are generally interested in the things that I do and are generally in the Laravel community and aware of those things. And on Twitter, I have like, uh, like 10 and a half thousand followers. Um, Actually, I had less than 10,000 when I, before I did that tweet, I gained a bunch just from the tweet. So the, the original sushi tweet had 1200 likes, which is probably in the top five tweets ever for me. So I think it's yeah. worth mentioning that it's, it, and this was just pitching the library, right? Not the sponsorware. Yeah. This was just the idea. It didn't, it wasn't even a library. I just like wrote this little right. thing. But and saying like, like, yeah, that's just the library. Yeah. What if I wrote this? Right. Yeah. Yep. So so I think it's worth mentioning that it did resonate strongly with a bunch of people like above average. It wasn't my average idea. It wasn't my average project. It was something. It wasn't that, get down. It wasn't get down. Exactly. <laughs> get down would not have done this. Yeah. Right. Fair yep. enough. That's good to yeah. know. So, uh, so there was that. And so I sent out that email and emails convert really well for things like this. And that's definitely an important note. I think if I just went on Twitter and said, Hey, this is sponsor where it wouldn't have had the success that it had. Um, I have a tiny bit of experience with this sort of thing, launching something to an, you know, an email group and, uh, and seeing how that works. And this is, this is how, how that worked. Moving forward a little bit, because I think that does help color it. I think if we look at now, you're at 83 sponsors. Now let's think about rinsing and repeating. So you've done yeah. this with Sushi. It's open right. source. Everyone got access to that. Uh, imagine doing this again. You basically would just come up with a new idea. Yep. Or write some new software and keep the repo private. Or I guess the repo has to be public, but don't put the source files in there because there's a readme and stuff. I, I kept uh, the repo private. Oh, you did? But, so th- this was all like minimum effort. This was like me. I'm really glad I got to try this out without really caring about the project. Like I cared so little about this project. I named it Sushi. Like I, <laughs> it. I, I was I one of that. those naming decisions where I was like, I'm not going to stress. I'm just going to do the first ridiculous thing I think about. Well, so the, the repo had to be public, though, because I found the readme and it said this will be open sourced when I hit 75 sponsors. So the readme at least had to be out there, right? The readme wasn't out there. No, you found it when the readme was stale and it was public. <laughs> oh, so I thought the readme was part of the marketing. No. So the marketing was all back channel emails and Twitter. So you could do a thing where you actually create the repo public open source and just keep the source code out yeah. and let the readme be part of your marketing and say, here's, you could even have readme driven development. Like you could have the API out there, everything. Yeah. The code. Right. I thought, you, I thought that's what you had done because I found it after you'd open sourced it. That's almost an even better idea. I mean, I, that's something I thought of, but it was just so like uh, last minute that yeah. I didn't, I didn't worry about it, but, but you're right sure. that, um, and also this idea is so simple. It's like a, one of those cool ideas that's actually super simple, but like, like, like the value in the idea is the idea, not the implementation. 
or like live yeah, wire the implementation pulse, is pretty you know? straightforward <laughs> yeah the implementation is simple so i thought if i release basically this full my full vision implementation like somebody would just write it for themselves like and in general the community i'm in is nice enough to not you know just like do that but um but yeah so i what i did was keeping a, a repo private and, and open to only a few people is pretty tough actually like the only free way to do it um to my not like free easy way is adding people as contributors on the project to your private repo so i made the repo private i added people as contributors and so they actually had like push access (laughs) like people could do kind of anything they wanted in the repo but again they're nice enough to not um but i just took all my sponsors and every time i got a new sponsor i literally copy and pasted them into the contributors you know thing in github um and then when i reach a 75 i just hit make public so it was just just simple and easy for me. I didn't have to deal with anything. Um, but but you're definitely right that having a readme, having docs, things like that, something is like a marketing page for your project before it goes public is really nice. And I, I also want to say an important thing is that I gave the sponsors the software right away. And I think that that's a big deal. So even when you weren't at 75, you started at like 25. So like sponsor number 26 comes in. Yeah. And they don't have to wait for 75. Like, that would be the worst thing ever. Right. I was thinking, like, what would be the threshold where it's like, I need 250. And I would look at that and be like, well, you're never going to get there. So right. I'm not going to. Yeah, there's so much weirdness involved with that. Like, oh, what if it takes like three months? I, like, I paid $40 and the next guy, like, number. I'll wait until it gets close and then I'll pay. Yeah, so right. I think that actually is a required and, and somewhat brilliant aspect of the mechanism is everybody who sponsors gets access right now. Yeah. And then when we hit a threshold, everybody else gets access. Exactly. I think that's really, really key to the idea. Yeah. yeah. So if you were going to rinse and repeat, let's say you come out with a, a new idea. I'm planning on it. I got the idea. Oh, you are. I'm already starting to talk about it. Yeah. What's it called? Kale. So it's called Project L. So this is a, one of L. the things uh, that I've sort of done over time now is like I, I, I punt on naming projects because I always regret naming something too early. Um, Liveware was originally... Uh, it was like live. It was Laravel Live View. Then it was Lightwire. Then it was. It, it took a while to get to Livewire. <laughs> um, Alpine started out when I wrote Alpine. I wanted to punt on everything not important, so I called it Project X. So now all my projects are basically project and then a letter. Um, and so this Project L is totally unnamed, and okay. uh, it's it's live. It's a it's a full app. It's my idea of like the common denominator of all web apps built. What I would believe perfectly like what i deem is perfect um or at least really well thought out in laravel with livewire and alpine with full tests everything like totally a full-on app that you can have access to read the source and go like oh i need infinite scroll or oh i need a data table or i need a date picker like well i'll go to project l and i'll you know see where caleb does that like a reference implementation yeah Right. All the basics. Yep. Which to me is like really the most valuable thing for a project. Like docs are great, but I just, I want to see examples and they. Same with me. Yeah. So it seems like kind of pushing that to the extreme is like, why don't we just make an entire app and that's the example. Um, so anyway, that's Project L and I'm working on that in the background and sort of tweeting about it as I go, little screen shares and tips and things like that. Um, and my current plan for it is, is sponsorware basically. I'll, I'm speaking at Laracon online at the end of the month. Um, and so at Laracon Online, I'll release 1.0 of Livewire and I'll release Project L uh, only to sponsors and I'll set a threshold and I'll tell everybody it's open to everybody when I hit this threshold. And it'll probably be a pretty high threshold because of how much value it 
you would get from it and how much work I'm putting into it. You got a number in mind? Um, <laughs> the first one that popped into my head was 150, but that honestly might be low. Um, yeah, that's less than double. Right. Project L is the kind of thing that that could be valuable enough that um, that people like forget about sponsorware. People would just gladly pay 10 bucks a month to get access to it, you know, like a, a decent amount of people. So. Um, so, yeah. So the next number that popped in my head was 250. But then I'm like, that's that's a lot. But who knows? Yeah. The nice thing with all this is you don't have to get to the threshold to be valued. Like, yeah, right. The fact that you give each person access means a, you don't have to hit that 250 to get value from yourself, right? It's not like you're waiting for 250 and then you hit a threshold and now you get your money or now you can do your thing. And then B, each person, they don't have to wait for 250 either. Like, all right, I'll just pay the 10 bucks or, or the, or the 99 <laughs> right. if I want to be a big baller or the 250 if I'm a big, big baller. But that 250 threshold, you could set it out a ways and not really, it's not a huge risk to do that, I guess is the point. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's really not at all. In fact, with with sushi, that was kind of my thinking was like, all right, I'm going to set it at 75. If we don't get there for a month and everybody forgets about this, fine. When like everybody already has the software and then when I do some other sponsorware that has a higher threshold, when we get to 75, I'll just be like, oh yeah, by the way, sushi's public everybody if you care, you know? And it'll be like another round of advertising for sushi to be like, oh, cool, we forgot about that. But nice, sponsorware is like pays eventually. So that's kind of a cool idea is like I could set this to 250 and let's say we don't get there for five months. I do another project and that gives it the steam to get there. Then it, you know, they, it's, it's like this yeah. one number. Add, it's additive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This seems like a really nice model for indie developers with many small or small-ish projects yep. and existing audiences of some kind. Yep. I think people with less audience, maybe with one large project, um, where they can't spin off new ideas very often uh, would struggle with this. I'm curious in your so experience so far, have you had any blowback? Anybody say this is a lame idea or I, I don't like you, Caleb, or not I'm never a gonna single person. You. I always get at least a hater or two on pretty much anything I do. And this, uh, I didn't hear any haters. No, um, definitely not. It doesn't feel like a paywall because, you know, like people get backlash on paywalls all the time. Um, especially ones that started out as like open source things or whatever. But I, I think it just doesn't feel like a paywall. So people aren't that mad about it. They're like, they're like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. No, I haven't gotten any, haven't gotten any negative reaction to it at all. It's so perfect for me because I, I think I, I kind of suck at like every other monetization model or I, like I, I know I'm good at building software that's like use like that's something that I'm good at is building useful software i guess everything else just seems like a gamble and i don't want to gamble on something unless i know it's going to work so i'm always like should i try this thing yeah it's not worth the barely any money i'm gonna make like just keep releasing things for free so this this is honestly it's like the easiest and most reliable i, I think it's going to be really huge at least for me and i hope for other people like me well, many listeners of this show are maintainers like yourself, and I'm sure because this sounds like it has been, uh, maybe if not a home run, at least a triple. You know, this is this has been something that, you know, it's we haven't found too many models that seem to be uh, easily reproduced and working really well without, like you said, a bunch of additional work. 
Right. So either become a marketer or you become a support team or you become a writer of documentation and help or you become a mentor or you become a bit, you know, a, an entrepreneur and start a support business around it. Like every single monetization strategy, almost all of them require like, and now I'm a business person. Well, I really wanted to try open source software. I know. And so I'm sure that many of our listeners are going to give this a try. And to the listeners out there, if you do try this, let us know how it goes. Yeah. Um, I think iterating idea and trying it in different environments, oh, it didn't work so well for me or, or worked even better. Here's what I did. Um, can really just help push the needle for all of us. Um, I think worth mentioning there's there's two real changes in perspective on the whole open source sponsorship thing that I had that led to this. I think are worth mentioning, and I I think you kind of touched on a little bit. Um, first one being I I switched my brain to 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 realize that the software that I write is the value, like that justifies money so it's not that there's an there's a I, i'm not necessarily even saying there's a obligation or a responsibility i think there there is but what i'm saying is that the software i write is where the value is and when i write things in my perks like get a free sticker which i did i started that and realized like nobody cares about the sticker and now i just have to ship all these stickers um i i just removed the stickers i was like even that notion like perks are nice and honestly people need that's where sponsor where it comes in. People need some some incentive to sign up. They're not just going to go. They're not just going to reflect to themselves on the value they derive from your open source software and hit that sponsor button. Some will, but that's not going to do it. So for me, I, I I changed all my language. I removed the sticker uh, perk. I removed I removed most of the perks so that it was pretty blatantly obvious on my page that like what you're doing is supporting me in the software I write. Uh, I also avoided language like buy me a cup of coffee, things like that, that, that suggests that this is just some side side thing or, or I even avoided things like, like the opposite of that, like feed my family, because that also like, what if I make way more than what you need to feed a family? Now am I being disingenuous? Like, no, the work is what justifies the money. Um, it's, it's not that I have some obligation to make like, and I'm not like a pastor who, who, you know, has an obligation to not make too much basically <laughs> like, or that people might think that or something like, no, I'm making software that's valuable. And if I, if I end up making a million dollars a year off GitHub sponsors, I don't want to feel guilty about it. So my, then I think it's fine because I'm providing that much value to you. So that, that was first, it was a language and mental change for me was like, switch the language from this is all side stuff, you know, Patreon style, like buy me a cup of coffee to like, no, this is, I'm giving you valuable things. You're paying me for that. That's the transaction. Um, so th- that was one shift was changing that language. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm looking at your sponsorship page now. We'll put that, sp- that page in the links for anybody who would like to model, uh, use Caleb as a model for what they are up to. And I will say the, the $9 a month individual perk is access to sushi. So there it is software, right? Here it is. Yeah. I got to remove that now cause everybody can access. Yeah. Everybody it. has Thanks that for the heads up. Oh, there you go. Uh, $99 a month perk is logo name link and listed on the readme and live wire landing page. Uh, this is for a freelancer slash startup. So again, this is not like buy me a cup of coffee. This isn't sending you stickers. This is like, there's some business value there for them. And then 250 or 249 a month. The perks are logo name link listed on every single page of live wire docs and then two hours of live wire consulting per month. So that one does have more of a quid pro quo, so to speak. So that $250 a month is broken because it, defies everything i just said yeah so you need to you need to update your your, your tiers a little bit but i really right. like what you just said and i think that 
I think that is an important thing to remember is that, you know, we're not out there panhandling for, for spare change and we're not like here to trade extra things. And that's what the tier system and the perk system always kind of rub me the wrong way as well because it's like, I, especially on Kickstarter, like you see all these perks or on Patreon and I start thinking like, man, they're going to have to send out like 25,000 t-shirts or so whatever work, it is, yeah. you know, like it's so much work that you're just building yep. for yourself. So it's like, I don't, that, that is the fundamental change. It's like, I don't need, I already did the, I already do the work. That's right. It. Um, the $250 a month tier to at least caveat why that exists with the two hours. Um, well, a, because I, I do want money and that's a way that I can sort of build up that like it, just since I launched sushi. Uh, so I have liveware behind me. So that that's worth mentioning that it's not like, um, all these people, I don't think I would get a $250 a month sponsor for sushi just so everybody knows, but for liveware, heck yeah. Um, right. so I've gotten like three, I think three new 250 a month sponsors, maybe two new, I don't know, which is a big deal. Like those are the ones that really move the bottom line for me. And I thought, well, yeah, so 250 is actually a deal. It's less than I charge for freelancing. Uh, for two hours of freelancing, it's 300 for me. Um, so, and it's a small amount. It's like a, you know, it could like derail me from my trains of thought and things like that if I pile these up. But my thinking was, you'll notice that it's live wire consulting. So it's consulting on a project that I build. So my mind was like, all right, I could use the extra money and it'll plug me into real people using my software, which is super duper valuable. If I'm spending, you know, let's say eight to 15 hours a month working with real people who are using my software in production in like enterprise style situations, that's huge. Like I would want every maintainer to have that to, I would want every project I use to know that the maintainer is working with real people in the trenches. Um, so that was kind of a, a reason why I did that and why it sort of seems off, but that that's the justification behind it. There is one aspect I, I agree with that. I'll add to that and say that if when you get a new agency or business at two fifty a month sponsoring you for Livewire, them being successful with Livewire is foundational to that continued sponsorship, right? Like if they end up like not being able to get it going or it doesn't br- bring them benefit, they're going to switch to something else and they're going to cancel their Caleb sponsorship, perhaps. Yeah. And so, like you helping them be successful is an additional thing that that that's at play there. So I kind of like it. Maybe you just take off the per month. And you say, you know, I'll give you, maybe you add it, make it six hours or something like give them like a, a flat number or something oh, interesting. so you can get involved with them. But it's not like now you're basically, cause you actually put a cap on your time at that tier because you only have two, so many two hour sessions a month that you can For actually sure. divvy out right before yeah, you are yeah, basically a consultant. So yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. Um, yeah. If it, if it was like, yeah, just six hours and there's your pool of sponsor time and it, it, it would communicate something else. It would communicate like you're not paying me for my time all the time. You're, you're paying me. It, it would be clear that you're not paying for my time. The right. time is like an added benefit of you committing to the project at this level, you know? Exactly. So yeah, I, I do like that. Um, yeah, it's definitely something I have to, I have to think through. So, so the second change, the first change is the perks thing and mm-hmm. whatnot. The second change was, and this is another Daniel one. He's, 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 he's good at this stuff. This is, um, you be stroke of Daniel on the monthly. I know. <laughs> so he, he works at the agency that I, that I used to work at. Um, so Daniel, which means he's rolling around in money. He, you know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so he, his suggestion was change your language. So my tier language was 
usually it's something like coffee and then the next one's like netflix and then the next one's like you know it kind of goes up from there mm-hmm. um so he was like and i forget what mine were i don't remember what mine were but you know you're tempted to make it like the smallie the medium meat, the biggie the right. you know or name it after like a fish or something you're a like, fan you're a hardcore fan you're the exactly. biggest fan ever yeah that's yeah. what it is yeah and he was like change the language to make it an expectation so rather than like how much do you want to pay me a month it's like i'll tell you what your what i think your responsibility is to me based on based on your position you know mm-hmm. basically like if you're a hacker like me you don't need to pay a hundred dollars a month like Nine dollars a month is great. Like if all of us hackers just kind of did that for each other, that would be huge. But if you're a freelancer and you're using Livewire, like I want to communicate, I'm communicating that now just in the tiers. Like if you're a freelancer and you're now you're looking at this and you're going, well, yeah, I am a freelancer. You know, you're not just seeing like, yeah, nine bucks a month. Great. Easy. You're going the individual. Hmm. Maybe I should call it the hacker even or like the independent, whatever. And then the second one, you would see freelancer. And I've already gotten response like this. Like people have, have even communicated to me, with me that this works without knowing they're communicating that to me by saying like, yeah, I mean, I'm a freelancer. And I, I emailed somebody to say, hey, can I have your logo to put on the site? They're a hundred dollar a month sponsor. And they said, no, I'm, I don't need it. I don't need the recognition. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a freelancer and I use Livewire. So I'm giving you a hundred dollars a month. And I was like, that's great because yeah. yeah. So that was a change. And then the big one was like, yeah, if you're an agency, like, you you should be at this higher tier. So I had somebody who was sponsoring me at 100 bump up to 250, basically because of the language change where they went, yeah, okay, that's that's right. I see his, I'll respect his his expectation, I guess. Yeah. Well, those are some great insights. Caleb, thanks so much for uh, talking to me today and sharing this experiment you've been doing and uh, all the awesome open source listeners. Check out Livewire, Alpine. Check out Get Down. It's kind of cool. And definitely subscribe to whatever Caleb's up to to find out when Project L comes out. (laughs) I'm teasing that relentlessly. We're all excited for, hey, uh, reference implementation of all these things. I think that's a great idea. And my guess is it'll be a hit as sponsorware as well. So, uh, Caleb, thanks for joining us. This has been very insightful and a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Jared. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to our Maintainer Spotlight series. Hey, what do you think of the sponsor concept? Let your opinion be heard by popping open the show notes and clicking discuss this on Changelog News. We'd love to know your thoughts on the matter. Special thanks to our guest, Caleb Porzio, for doing his maintainer thing. This episode was brought to you by our friends at Tylift. They are all about paying the maintainers. And it was produced by me, Jared Santo. We get these farm fresh beats from the one and only Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm curious, do you listen to our outros? If so, tweet at me, at Jared Santo, because we have no idea if anybody's listening. Thanks again. We appreciate you. 